And uh, so and it was in that occasion that I start to read more, uh, to go more in depth because I was asked to, to, to do a, a talk uh, uh, critically apprising this uh, new metric. Um, after that, uh, I found out that there were uh, reading the literature, there were really serious problems. And uh, I was criticized because uh, I was told, yeah, but you just present in a conference, you haven't published, uh, so you haven't published this criticism on a peer review uh, journal. Yeah, that's the paper. And uh, so we did it. I have to say that uh, we have uh, other papers on, uh, in press, and we took more than one year for the review process for various reasons. So once we published those, uh, this paper, uh, in the meantime, people start to say, okay, but you have to, to show, uh, you have to demonstrate uh, with original uh, studies. So while it's, it's true that you need also original studies, I want to underline that most of the criticism I received because uh, um, they, they said that uh, while on the other side there are people publishing all these uh, associations on our side, there were no papers uh, in that direction. I want to explain something about science because it seems to me that people, or they don't know, or they don't know and they ignore. Uh, in science, you, you, you present uh, evidence, so the evidence is, are the results of your studies to support a theory. Uh, if uh, I have methodological concerns about this evidence, I'm, uh, I'm allowed to raise these concerns uh, the uh, the weaknesses of the studies uh, uh, are important to be recognized because they um, they give the weight of those evidence. So what we were saying is that the evidence presented wasn't strong as people uh, were thinking, and this is why we we criticize the methodo- uh, the methodology, and this does not require actually the um, that I run original studies we did uh, with the, with the last paper but it's not necessary and this is a very sorry but it's a very stupid uh, 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 criticism I received because it it really is in, ignores the, the the rules of science so is it, uh, in a systematic review you know uh, there is an assessment that you should always do which is the assessment of the risk of bias so if someone criticizes and say that the study has a high risk of bias, what's the answer of the authors? Ah, okay, if you're, you, you criticize, you have to run your own studies to show. So th- this is, was the point. We, we were uh, underlying the, the risk of bias and the methodological problem, showing that those papers were not strong and mostly are wrong, completely wrong, like the U-shape that, you know, we asked the retraction because it's, it's wrong. So I don't have to show that demonstrate that uh, 2 plus 2 is not 5, but is 4. You are, so what are we talking about? So after this rant, uh, I, I go on with this paper. So in this paper, we summarize a bit some of the concerns, because actually the concerns, the methodological problems are, are really a lot. And I'm, I'm, lucky, I'm lucky that also some uh, very strong epidemiologists like Jan Schreer publish on sport medicine, uh, concerns about this uh, uh, this metric. So it's not only uh, me and my friends, but it seems that someone else uh, has some concerns and uh, 
uh, much better epidemiologist than, than I am. So in that paper, we, we raised uh, various problems. One was the lack of a conceptual uh, framework. Um, and why this is important? Because if uh, you don't have a, a precise theory, um, it's difficult to run original studies to show the validity or not of a theory. And this is something that people asking me to, to run studies and uh, understood, absolutely. Because uh, uh, if you say, when you present an hypothesis, the hypothesis should be precise so that they can make uh, predictions uh, and precise predictions. When a theory is vogue and is very generic, uh, in, in science, this is uh, a theory with a very low degree of uh, falsifiability which is not very good. So basically, when it's uh, so generic, you can uh, more or less justify whatever you want. It's like when uh, there are studies showing results in a different direction and people say, yes, but, you know, because it's uh, multifactorial. Yes, we know it's multifactorial, but this is not the justification that the predictions are wrong. Because if they are wrong, the, the theory probably is too easy to, to uh, provide uh, uh, meaningful information Given the complexity of the multifactorial uh, of a multifactorial phenomenon, so the theory doesn't doesn't work. So that's that's the way you should interpret, not justify the different results because it's multifactorial. We know it's multifactorial. So we we wanted to underline the lack of a conceptual framework, and the conceptual framework that was linked to, for example, the Bannister model, uh, as I said, is not quite strong because. Uh, uh, they uh, reinterpreted the Bannister model in a way that is completely different from the original Bannister model, which is related to performance and not injuries that use uh, an additive model and not uh, a ratio. And, and, and that's the second point that we, we show in that paper. And uh, actually that paper has some original data from AFL and we show as uh, actually it was already done by Lolly, Atkinson, Gregson, and other uh, researchers that the ratio doesn't normalize and introduce noise, actually. And in the last paper, we have also shown that introduce uh, statistical artifacts. So we repeated the analysis of Lolly and we showed that the acute chronic ratio uh, is, a, is a bad normalization technique, let's say. And the, uh, the third point is, which is, in my opinion, very important. And again, it seems people or don't they don't want to understand, or they they really don't know. And so again, it's a problem of education. All these studies, and when I say all, I say one hundred percent of these studies are all descriptive studies. Uh, there are just a bunch of studies that are try to be predictive. Uh, and this is important because if these studies are just showing descriptive associations, the only thing you can do, even assuming the study are run properly, is to develop uh, new theories and new hypotheses that, that after you can test. But all people interpret these associations and as a causal. Because uh, if you think that manipulating the training load based on this association, you are going to change the, the likelihood of the event, in this case, the injury. This means that you are attributing a causal effect. And none of these studies has, uh, has uh, um, established causal 
association or causal inferences. There are methods from observational studies to estimate uh, uh, causal effects, but these are uh, have been not used in uh, in all these one uh, hundred more studies. So we we in that paper we try to remind that if there is no causal effect established. There's no way that you can suggest or recommend to change the explanatory variable to change the likelihood of the event because it's like suggesting to decrease the number of ice cream sold to decrease the shark attacks. Conceptually, it's exactly the same. And when I make this example, people think I'm exaggerating. No, I'm not exaggerating. It's exactly the same. We have associations And these associations are at best descriptive, which means that can be due to a, a common cause, for example, or to confounders. We don't know. Mm-hmm. This means that these studies can have uh, uh, can be biased. There is a there is a problem which is a selection bias, a survivor bias that is almost ignored in in these in these studies. So we the, the three main points are the lack of uh, conceptual framework. The uh, failure of the ratio to normalize and the, and the introduction of uh, noise uh, to, to, to the metric and the associations that are not uh, um, causal. And so you can use that for any kind of recommendation, even assuming that the other problems uh, are not really a problem. And this is uh, something I find really worrying because the, for science and medicine is plenty of uh, descriptive associations interpreted as causal. I mean, you can think it's causal. You can also write, probably this is causal. And, and after, if it's causal, you can develop a prediction and you can check the prediction like should be done in science. What we do in, uh, in this area is we run, uh, there are studies with more than 1,000 comparisons. There are studies using more than 300 combinations uh, to see if there is something significant. And based on what is significant, you, you reshape the theory and, 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 and to justify your results. So in my opinion, this is not the best example of science. It's not very helpful. With, with regard to the, the ratio itself and the, 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 the alleged sweet spot, which I know is the, the graph that you... Uh, took, took issue with and you, you wrote to the BJSM about to, I think, get retracted because this graph has been published five, six, seven times. When we talk about that ratio, we, we speak to people who, and, and you know, we, we all have, have held this belief that if you're, if you're within you know, 0.8 and 1.2, you're safe. And it's if you go outside of this, your risk increases. We also know that then, and I think even when we spoke to Tim about this on episode 58, he said, yeah, but you know what? Some people, even if they're inside that sweet spot, they may still get injured. And even if you're Some of them, even if you've got a much higher ratio, you'll just tolerate it. Um, is that kind of the point that, that it's either a rule or it isn't? If we're going to bring in individuality, then, then this ratio is irrelevant. I mean, I guess what I'm coming around to is, is there any harm in using it? If people use it for its ease, not saying that, you know, rightly or wrongly, they use it um, clinically, they, they, they've read the research, they've interpreted it their way. Is there any harm in them doing it? What's the negative side to continuing using it uh, clinically, pragmatically? Yeah, I can tell you what's the problem uh, that I try to show in some conferences. For example, if I wanted to use uh, this ratio to stay in the sweet spot uh, with my athletes, I had to cut almost 50% of the load. 
because uh, after uh, after a recovery week or when you have competitions for which you you taper and uh, and or if you are like me uh, i think most of the coaches uh, uh use uh, let's say two three weeks of load and one of recovery two three weeks of load and one of recovery every time you recover uh, uh when you come back uh, uh to train your athletes uh, if you don't want to go too high with the ratio you have to cut the load and this means that you have to decrease the load so one of the problems of staying in the sweet spot and this is actually a feedback i received from a lot of people that have tried to use this uh, is that you tend to tr- train less so you are under training and in my opinion if i i would uh, consider something a risk of injuries is not uh, uh, more than overtraining is uh, undertraining or at least as much as overtraining so uh, but the, the the sweet spot has been created as as you know in, a, in the wrong way uh, that famous curve and, uh, and when we asked the retraction they didn't retract not because uh, the concerns we we raise were wrong but because they said that's just an illustrative uh, model first of all i would say that if even if it's illustrative but it's wrong it's still wrong so it doesn't matter it's illustrative the second is that that illustrative uh, uh, model was presented as valid model in the ioc consensus so the ioc has promoted something which was uh, not validated uh, was just presented as illustrative and uh, as a lot of basic errors Uh, because they, I mean, it, people can go and see our attraction uh, request on, they can download and read. Uh, but there are really a, a lot of basic errors that you cannot model in this way, uh, in this way, the, those information, those data, even the, even the, 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 um, they, they call a likelihood of injury, they call a risk, uh, an injury rate. So there's nothing right in that, in that figure, but it's in last illustrative. And so the British journal decided not to retract. It's fine. Uh, I mean, it's not fine, but it, it's their decision. So, so we, we accept that. Um, so, I'm a bit lost. <laughs> let me let me keep it as, as, as applicable for us clinicians as, as possible. So if I don't want to put words in your mouth, so call me on it if I've misinterpreted you. But I know you've got a paper coming out which looked at the acute chronic workload ratio versus the acute random chronic workload ratio. Yeah. And they were equally as um, predictive, so to speak, of, of, of injury. And I certainly recall in the conclusion of that, when I read it off of your research gate uh, page, that you were fairly strong in your contention that this, this, the use of this uh, ratio should be discontinued. So I guess what I'm asking is, if people sort of go, okay, I, I'm on board with this, where do we go from here? If, 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 there isn't, um, if there is harm in continuing to use it, if we accept the current literature that we should discontinue using it, what does monitoring load What should monitoring load look like present day and, and moving forward? Yeah, the, 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 this is uh, something uh, we, mm, we are publishing soon. Uh, I think it's a question, I hope, of weeks uh, on Journal of Athletic Trainer. Uh, because, uh, as you said, uh, when we start to criticize, people start to say, okay, but what do we do now? And basically what we are saying is that 
you go on to do what you were doing before the acute chronic uh, ratio until we don't have something stronger and really evidence-based and uh, really helpful, uh, which is uh, just monitoring to understand that uh, if what you plan is good, uh, uh, is going as you plan or not. What I want to say is that the, 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 the definition of a training program uh, is the job of, of uh, uh, um, a coach or, in, or a, a physiotherapist in terms of rehabilitation or anyone. So the first point is to develop the program. It's not to understand how much uh, load uh, is right or not. What do you want to do? Uh, what's your goal? What do you want to achieve? You want to increase the strength of the muscle, the, 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 the strength of the structure. Uh, these are the main questions from which we should start. After that, you develop your program and you define your progression. It's not a number. It's not a matrix. So if uh, Craig said, says, okay, I want to increase 10% every week, it's fine. That's the, uh, his decision is, is the, is the boss in that situation. He, he, he will uh, use uh, 10% because he has some ideas that temp- this 10% can be useful increasing uh, in this way. And this is uh, what everyone, every practitioner should do. Monitoring is a second step. Once I develop my program and I decide what to do based on the literature, based on what I have, uh, what I think, based on my speculation, because these uh, there is a lot of uncertainty of the process. There are a lot of arbitrary decisions. Uh, so can be evidence-based because I can decide to focus on the strength of, uh, of the muscle. I can decide to train eccentrically a muscle based on the literature, but how much and how to develop the program is my, is my uh, decision. Once I define the program, we use the... The, these measures of monitoring to understand if the program is going as we plan, for example. So also the, the, the kind of metric and the, the training load measure depends on the goal. If I want to cover a certain amount of sprint or sprinting, running, uh, high-intensity running, because I think that for example, sprinting uh, can improve some neuromuscular component, high-intensity running can improve uh, some cardiovascular components so decrease the, the fatigue and things like that. Of course, I have a plan in my mind when I build the program, and I have to check with the, with the right matrix. In that case, I will, I will use probably the high-intensity distance. I will use the number of sprints. I can use the number of accelerations or whatever. I think reflected the goals of my training. And if I say, okay, I want to increase 10% for three weeks after I want to recover, and I want to cut 50%, and that's my program, mm-hmm. I measure all these components to see if my pro- program is going as I plan. So it's relatively easy, meaning that there's no metric that can tell you if what you are doing is right or wrong in terms of injury risk. What you can do is try, for example, to monitor that we are going to publish a paper on that, uh, uh, I hope in a few months, uh, the training tolerance. And this is what everyone uh, does in, uh, in, uh, in, in practice. So when you have a patient, you, you, you adapt the load based on also on how the patient is responding to, the, to this 
it's not based on on a number okay so that's the way to monitor you have a plan so the the key component of all this process is still the brain of people and now people seems to be a bit brainless when they use all these numbers these are above these numbers it's above uh, below so it's it's right or wrong it's not that easy i i coach for years and i i still don't know how much uh, I have to increase the load. I use my experience, but it happened that I increased much uh, faster because we had a very close competition and they, it was fine. They had no problem at all. We had injuries in, in period in which the, there was not so much load in the, even in the preparation period in endurance sports where the work is quite extensive, for example, there are, and, 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 and the load is still not very high. We had, anyway, we had injuries. So it's difficult to, to understand. And this is what people should accept. This is the uncertainty of our job. I mean, when there is someone entering your in, in, in your uh, in your gym or uh, wherever with the back pain, <laughs> the back pain, it, it's a it's a big problem because it's not that easy to understand how to treat that back pain. So, of course, it would be nice, and there are someone suggesting, for example, now there is a lot of discussion about the biomechanical approach. Okay, and there's plenty of literature. I can raise the same issue with uh, this biomechanical approach to, to pain. Okay, uh, there are studies showing some association. There are others showing not. Uh, there are no association. I can focus on those showing association. And, and it's easy to say yes if uh, you have some range of motion or something that is uh, above or below. Uh, you, you have to treat or not to treat. It would be easy. It would be nice, but it doesn't work, and we know it doesn't work. So I think uh, that with this uh, acute chronic workload ratio, we are basically doing something similar. Mm-hmm. So if you ask me how to use the training load uh, monitoring for injury prevention, I can tell you that you can use the monitoring for injury prevention. You can use to monitor if what you have planned is uh, has been done by your athlete. If this is good or not, it depends on how they respond. And you have to monitor the responses, not just the training load, the so-called training load. Because training load management is something that you can do to adapt to the responses. If you if you are increasing a lot of the load in, in, in a team and you have some players saying that I'm fine, I have no problem, uh, the tests are good, uh, why I should cut because it's outside uh, this sweet spot, for example. If I have someone which is in the in the sweet spot and, and tell you that, oh, you know, I'm, I feel tired, I feel like pain, what do you do? Of course, uh, probably you would cut the load in any case. And this is what we do as coaches. So coming back to the first question, when I start to approach this uh, concept, new concept, I found a bit, um, from a coach perspective, very reductionist and uh, not very helpful, I would say even uh, even uh, dangerous because it pushed people to focus on the numbers and not to to focus on the the athlete uh, responses. Perfect. Sure, thanks, Frank. I think on that note, it's a good good note to finish. We've just gone over the hour, but before we finish, I just want to—I I actually have a lecture on um, load management that I've given a couple of times now that is aimed at clinicians, in which I, I go through a lot of these concepts. On my very last slide, I have a point that you've just proved correct, and that point was the importance of a good coach in a sports science in this whole thing. 
and I think you've you've proved that that really it's not as something as simple as perhaps clinicians have imagined in the past. So, so you know, thank you for that. Thank you for your time. You know, the hour's gone really, really quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Maybe I didn't uh, respond to the last paper. What we did with the last paper that I think uh, is important because in the the one about the, the random uh, chronic load. So basically. Because that paper, in our opinion, we were thinking it closed the, the, the question because, in my opinion, it, it closes the question because we have shown that it's an artifact. What I mean by artifact is that um, we divided, since we, we, to demonstrate that the, is the ratio creating this artifact, what we did is that if it's the ratio and it's not because the chronic load reflects the athletic preparation, because that's the theory. If I divide it for any similar number, I should find the same. And this is what we, we, we obtain. So we, we create random chronic loads uh, using the same average and then vari- the standard deviation, let's say, to simulate the, the numbers of the original uh, uh, of the study. We created this random number. We divided uh, the individual acute load by these random numbers, and we found the same. In the paper, we have explained a bit more in detail why this happened. And this happened because it's just a rescaling. So basically, it's like to give an example that uh, can be easy to understand. It's like if you calculate the increase in injury risk for each meter of, uh, of distance that uh, someone run, and you transform uh, uh, this risk in... Uh, the risk of uh, in, an increase in one kilometer. So basically you have uh, the risk of one rise to an exponent of 1,000. This is what, uh, what happens with this uh, ratio. So this creates a statistical artifact and basically magnify just uh, the, the difference between injury and non-injured players in the acute load. And, and that's why I said all these reviews now uh, the reason, even if I think they are biased, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to, to address uh, the problems of these reviews because uh, with this paper we have shown that these are statistical artifacts. Rescaling is something you can do. So uh, it would make not a lot of sense to say increasing, I don't know, cardiovascular risk uh, after every one gram of, uh, of body weight uh, would be a bit weird. So it would make sense to say uh, the increased risk every one kilogram. But these are the situations in which rescaling is used. Not uh, in this case, uh, they, they, all the authors didn't, didn't know they were rescaling, they were rescaling uh, the, the other ratio or the relative risk from, uh, from the acute load. And we have shown this, uh, uh, in, in this paper. The other thing we have shown is that when you create this ratio, you reclassify, uh, the, the, the players so that uh, you may have, uh, more injured players in the high category. And this is because the ratio creates an asymmetric, uh, is asymmetric. And what I mean is that if from 1,000 you go back to 800, you are decreasing 20%. When you come back from 800 to, to 1,000, you are increasing 25%. So the, the, using a ratio tend to give more importance to increase and then decrease. And, and that's why, for example, there are statisticians saying that it's very risky to use ratio and they shouldn't be used unless they're really normalized. So this, uh, this paper, I mean, 
I don't know how people can defend the theory behind the, the, the workload, uh, acute chronic workload, if you can obtain the same dividing all the players by random numbers or by a fixed numbers. So for us, this, state, this study was a bit conclusive, but I know that it will not happen because the bias uh, is, is strong there. Well, we'll make sure to to link all of the papers we've referred to, including that one, in the in the comments on the Facebook pages. So, if anyone's listening after the fact, on if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to the podcast, head over to our Facebook page and we'll we'll list all of Franco's papers. If you can't get hold of any of them, uh, and I know a couple of them are, are, are open access on your ResearchGate um, profile, but are you okay with are you okay with people contacting you? Um, yeah, sure. Because I think the most the, the the more hurdles there are for people to read these papers, um, the less likely they are to to make that. It's an uncomfortable change moving away from a from a ratio we like to start with. So we we want to remove remove those hurdles. Um, before before we go, let me just say one last thing, and that is that throughout the throughout the ages. We know that scientists um, that have sort of had competing views and they've, they've scientifically clashed have, have, have been really good for the rest of us. Because when two really smart people have opposing ideas, I think all the way back to Newton and Hooke, and maybe the modern day version of that is uh, Impelizari and Gavit, I don't know. But I mean, um, I think the fact that we've got two smart guys, you know, disagreeing is only good for the rest of us. Um, but you've 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 shared a, a like you say a conference room with Tim. We've had you both on. You both seem like very personable people. Do you secretly just sit back and have a beer together and laugh about everything? Are you best mates? Are you worst enemies? What's the deal when you meet Tim face to face? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, the, actually, that was the first time I met Tim. I didn't know him personally, and um, it, it was uh, we didn't have. Problem actually, I, I made my he made his presentation. I made mine. There was a very short debate after that. Uh, I I spoke with him. I said that it wasn't and it isn't personal. It's just a scientific debate. And this is uh, there are people who are trying to push this uh, discussion on a personal level, uh, but it's not personal. If they want to move on a personal level, they can try. But uh, I mean, uh, for me, it can be team, but it can be. Uh, Captain America, it doesn't change. Uh, I mean, uh, I would uh, <laughs> I would do exactly the same. And this is normal in scientific discussion. So if from something is uh, is uh, is proposing uh, a, a matrix, and we are saying that this matrix is not strong enough, and and we we we, we are, I think, with the last paper, we have also demonstrated the problem is that uh, it's becoming a dogma. So there are people defending this matrix, uh, not questioning or rising doubts uh, or answering to our methodological concerns, but rising other kind of arguments, which is exactly what I see uh, after 20 years of skeptic society uh, for, for other, uh, for in complementary medicine, for example. So uh, uh, if I, we say, okay, there are these limitations, yeah, but in any case can be usable for uh, monitor overload progression. Yeah, maybe, but for... It wasn't proposed for that. It was proposed with a precise, uh, uh, for a precise reason, and and it was proposed because it's related to injury risk. That's the reason, not because you can track progression. There are at least one hundred methods that you can track progression. And if we want to talk about this method for tracking progression, we we change completely uh, area of discussion. And I don't think it's also it's good even for progression, to be honest. But this is this is another issue because. 
I would avoid ratios, uh, uh, and as suggested by several statisticians, I would always avoid ratio. Um, I'm even not com- comfortable with the uh, VO2 max uh, divided by kilograms and uh, body mass. So, but that, that's, uh, that, that's the point. So I, I don't, I didn't have any personal issue. I don't have personal issue. It's a purely scientific. Uh, I know that maybe Tim can, can take this personally because uh, he created uh, his career around uh, this, uh, this kind of studies and metric. And I comment for, for having tried to address this important topic. But now we have to go on. That's how science works. We have to recognize, sometimes we have to recognize that we did mistakes. It's normal in the scientific process. We don't have to defend. I'm sorry to say that the last review is a sort of last attempt of defense, uh, but i mean and now that I, in the future I want people i'm a bit annoyed by discussing with the people with this um kind of a dogmatic approach so if you want to discuss they have to show me that what we have uh, written is wrong and now i i i answer in the same way now we have to show that this uh, statistical artifact uh, doesn't exist if you want to go on discussing about your cute crowd They, they ask us to demonstrate. Actually, at the beginning, I didn't want to do much more uh, in terms of studies. I, I said, I just raised my concern. I think they are strong. Methodologically, it's unquestionably, the studies are unquestionably weak. So it's done. People insisted. We have done these studies. Actually, we have one or two other studies on training load, uh, methodological study to show some other errors. And after I own, I'm done, I mean... People can go on. There's no way to convince someone that believes in God that God doesn't exist. Because at, at one point, at one point, the discussion is moving in that direction. Because every time we raise, we raise some methodological concern that the, the people use straw men start to move on other on other issues. Yes, but. Uh, the, the message is important. The message is the message of uh, is the same message of the Lorman and the fifties. So the message, uh, of course, I have nothing against the overload progression, but that's not the question. This is moving the attention on something else. So uh, I just think that we, we people should understand that the training load cannot tell you if the load is too much or too low, or if you are increasing or decreasing injury risk. It's just your brain and how you develop the program, your reasoning that can uh, give some suggestion. If uh, you find this metric useful for progression, it's okay. You can use whatever you want. I mean, you can use the average of one year if you find this helpful in your practice. I have no concern. Great. I'd urge people to follow Franco on Twitter, uh, not least because he's incredibly good value and you get to see him. Um, you get to see him has the discussions almost daily, but actually it's probably a great place to hang out and note when you and your, your, your colleagues uh, publish more work in this area. So I'll link to your Twitter profile below as well. So anyone that's on Twitter, get over and um, follow Franco there. But uh, oh, just thank you so much for your time, Franco. It's been, I could, no, I could carry on all night, but actually quite, it quite literally isn't coming up to half past 11 here. So I should probably, uh, I should probably head off. But yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank no, you. Jan. Thank you, Craig. Right. It was Thanks, a pleasure. Yeah. Bye.